copyright notice. The contents of this podcast, including intro music, are copyright Phantom Femme. The podcast artwork is copyright Isabeau of WAGproductions.org. This labyrinth, justice from the heart of the Phantom of the Opera. Hello, everyone, and welcome back after yet another long unplanned hiatus to episode 22 of In This Labyrinth. Huge thanks to everyone for tuning in, joining in, joining back in, and uh, for your patience. I had a bit of a glitch with the credit card that pays for my hosting. I thought I'd renewed it properly when it expired, but apparently not, although I don't actually entirely understand what happened there. And it's apparently all fixed and back up and working now, here's hoping, but yeah, for a while my hosting got frozen there while I got that sorted out. And on top of that, of course, the school year started. And of course, I'm teaching online this year because, at least where I am, all the colleges and universities have gone to online teaching, like all online teaching, no in person classes because of the pandemic. And I've never taught online before, so it's been a bit of a learning curve. Plus, of course, as fellow disabled folks out there will appreciate, no matter what the specs say, you never truly know how accessible something's going to be till you actually dive in and try it. So there was some angst about that, too, as I was getting set up and started up teaching online and getting the hang of how that works. It's actually turned out to work very well, thank God, and to my surprise and enormous relief, to be much more accessible than I expected. But yeah, getting set up with that and getting used to that kind of took up all my bandwidth for a while. Plus, of course, the first round of assignment marking came in. So, alas, that had to take priority over recording for a while there. So, yeah, all those things kind of conspired together to delay getting this episode out. Again, really sorry about that. I had really hoped to have this episode out way before now, but, yeah, my workload and my energy level kind of set a joint, this thing does not happen, to that. Sorry, couldn't resist. 
Anyway, I've got what I hope will be a really interesting episode for you all here, in which I thought I'd once again bring you all a review and analysis of one of my personal favorite fanfics. It's one that I've read and reread a bunch of times now, and it's one that I suspect I will read and reread many more times because it's extremely rich. There's just so much in it to unpack. And so I thought I'd share some of that here on the show. So for this episode, I wanted to go back and do another fanfic, phantom lit review slash analysis. Because honestly, this fic feels kind of eerily relevant right now, even though it was actually written quite a number of years ago. And it's another piece of brilliance by the awesome human being who goes by the name Quiet2885 on fanfiction.net. You'll recall I reviewed another one of their stories back last December, I think it was? I reviewed their story, When All is Lost, and talked about how that fic brought in the concept of environmental justice in a way that I haven't seen before or since in a fanfiction. Although, if others out there have, do tell me. I'd love to read it. So, this is another fic by the same author. And in fact, there's two versions of it. There's the original version on fanfiction.net, and it's still up on fanfiction.net, called Shadow Government. And then there's also a version of it published on, definitely on Kindle, and I think in hard copy on Amazon too, called Shadows Over Eden. And I'm going to be focusing my review analysis mostly on the fanfiction.net version, because in honesty, I like it better. That may not be entirely fair, because I've only read the published version once fairly recently, whereas I've read the original fanfiction.net version three or four times now. But interestingly enough, the version that's published on Kindle has some significant changes from the original fanfiction.net version. And at least on first reading of the published version, I have to say I didn't find those changes worked as well. Maybe that's just because they were a bit jarring because they weren't what I was expecting. And I'm certainly going to give it a second read to see if I have the same reaction. But yeah, on first reading of the published version, I didn't find the changes to the story arc quite as effective as in the original fanfiction.net version. So, first of all, apologies, but this will contain spoilers. I'll try not to spoil more than strictly necessary, but it is kind of hard to do a good review and analysis without giving at least some spoilers. And second of all, apologies if the plot summary seems disjointed or is confusing, because like When All is Lost, this is a very long fic. It's not as many chapters, it's only 40 chapters, as opposed to the 74-odd chapters of When All is Lost, 
but they're very long chapters, so honestly, it probably works out to about the same length. And because of that, there's a lot in there, a lot of plot detail, and that makes it very hard to summarize and do justice to. Though, of course, I'll do my best. So, I wanted to review this story because, A, as I said earlier, it feels eerily relevant right now, and hopefully you'll see what I mean when I get into the plot summary. But B, as difficult a read as it in many ways is, and it is, because this is a fairly dark fanfic, I would say in some ways darker than When All is Lost, it's nevertheless become one of my top favorites. As I said, I've reread it a bunch of times now, and I never cease to be floored by the brilliance of it. For one thing, Quiet 2885 is a great writer. Yeah, there's the odd typo, but on the whole, their use of language is beautiful and powerful and evocative and effective. But also their character depth and character development are really amazing, especially in this fic. Because to get this Eric and Christine from where they start to where they end up plausibly honestly requires masterful skill. And Quiet 2885 pulls it off, too. In fact, honestly, in this fic, they pulled off what I would have previously said was impossible. Because there was a point in this story where I honestly hated this Eric. Because he just seemed completely lost to evil. And then, by heavens, the author pulled off his redemption believably. And pulled off him and Christine actually coming around to have a healthy, loving relationship, believably. And so I was just like, wow. Side note, though, just in case folks are wondering whether to listen to the plot summary, when I say that this Eric seemed, and was for a lot of the story, really lost to evil, I don't mean like rape or anything like that. He never crosses those lines. But, yeah, he spends a lot of the fic really lost to evil in a lot of other ways. So, this story's kind of speculative fiction. It takes place in the near future, in 2038, though the published version moves it back to 2034. And in this 2034-38, America is falling apart. There's super high unemployment, extreme poverty, tons of violence and chaos, and the cities especially have basically become hellscapes. The only place in all this where people are finding food and safety and work is the community, which is basically a cult run by a guy named Cameron Lourdes, L-O-U-R-D-E-S. And as an aside, that's a very interesting choice of last name. I can't help but wonder if it was an intentional reference to the famous Shrine of Lourdes in France or not. 
So Cameron Lords' cult, The Community, started out small and fringe, but by the time the story takes place, it's gained significant political power and even has an alarming number of people running for office, for Congress and the Senate. And now, enter Christine, who was brought to the community as a little kid by her father after her mother passed. And at first she hated it and was angry and resentful at her father for bringing her there, because it has very strict, antiquated rules, especially with regard to gender roles. So, no art, no celebrations, no birthday parties, no movies, because all of that's considered worldly and sinful, and only a very narrow selection of approved books and music. And very limited education, too, especially for girls. They're not allowed to play. They're expected to be quiet and modest and absolutely obedient. And so, as I said, when Christine is first brought here, she hates this and is angry and resentful at her father and at the whole community and is rebellious and defiant and is often punished for it. But then, because he's ill and dying, Christine's father begs Cameron Lourdes to let her sing at one of the community's assemblies in the hope that her beautiful voice will snare her husband. And she does sing, and this gets the attention of the spirit. Yes, enter Eric. And yeah, I bet you were wondering when he was going to show up, and I bet you're wondering what on earth he's doing in a setting like this. Well, Eric in this story is not a believer in this cult's ideology. Rather, he's kind of a mercenary operative who specializes in destabilizing countries so that they're rife for taking over by people with authoritarian ambitions. And we learn later on in the fic that he's done this in a number of other countries and now has been hired by Cameron Lourdes to do it in America. And as part of that, he's used advanced technology to A, keep the community under constant total surveillance, and B, to perform quote-unquote miracles so that the people in the community will believe in the spirit and believe what Cameron says. And it's in this role as the spirit that Eric hears Christine sing at the assembly, falls deeply in love with her, though not in a very healthy way yet, and begins to teach her to sing. And so, by the start of the story, Eric's been teaching her to sing as the spirit for two years, and hearing and being taught by Eric's magnificent disembodied voice has finally accomplished what all the punishment she received earlier couldn't. It's made her believe almost wholeheartedly in the community's teachings. I say almost because 
Although now brainwashed and deprived of a good education, Christine is not unintelligent by any means, and she's also very compassionate and empathetic. And so her doubts and concerns do resurface every now and then when, for example, someone disappears from the community after speaking out even very mildly against Cameron. Meanwhile, enter Raoul. He and Christine, of course, knew each other and were friends back in grade three before she was taken away to the community, and he's never forgotten her. And she's never entirely forgotten him either. Although, according to the community's rules, she's supposed to forget and purge everything from the outside. But Raoul finds out that she's still in the community, and sneaks into one of their assemblies to try to see her. And of course he's shocked by the change. From the vibrant girl he knew in grade three to this, as he puts it, scared doll. And so Raoul comes back later with the cops and gets her out of there, thinking that she'll be glad to be rescued. And she is glad to see her old friend again, and to have one last chance to have a look at the world, because even though she's not supposed to, she's always been curious about it. But ultimately, she believes she has to go back to the community and to the spirit. But Raoul convinces her to stay out for a couple of days. But then the spirit, a.k.a. Eric, snatches Christine almost literally right out from under Raoul's nose. He doesn't take her back to the community, though. He takes her back to his own house. And there she discovers, rather painfully, that the spirit is not in fact a spirit, but is a man who is in some kind of cahoots with Cameron Lourdes, for reasons she doesn't yet understand. Because from Christine's point of view, and I should say, in this fic, we don't get Eric's point of view. He's kept mysterious. It's all told from Christine and Raoul's point of view. Points of view, sorry. Anyway, from Christine's point of view, as she begins to get to know Eric during this weird captivity she has with him, he seems to not be on the same page as Cameron Lords at all. You know, he's not at all religious. He doesn't enforce any of Cameron's rules of conduct for Christine. She can read and watch and listen to and wear whatever she wants. And he gives her books on history and math and science and such so that she can educate herself in ways she wasn't allowed to do while living in the community. And yet, he's working with Cameron Lords to run the community, keep it in line, and help Cameron gain power in the country. And as Christine says, and this is not supposed to confuse me at all? And she's very confused, because after the restrictions of the community, Eric seems kind of like a liberator. But on the other hand, he has complete control of her coming and going. She can't leave Eric's home without his permission and facilitation. So on one hand, he's liberated her from the restrictive 
behavior codes of the community, but on the other hand, she feels like a prisoner. And of course, now that she knows that the spirit is a big lie, she's really unhappy about and uncomfortable participating in the way that people are being brainwashed in the community. Because Eric and Cameron both still want her to sing at gatherings and ceremonies, and she kind of has no choice but to do so. But she's really unhappy about it, and at one point she even makes an unsuccessful attempt to expose the spirit as a lie. And I forgot to mention, Eric keeps going on about how she has this great destiny, but he's being very mysterious about it, that's all he'll say. Just that all will be revealed when the time comes, basically. But Christine, obviously, doesn't find that a satisfactory explanation. So, to finally get her on side, Eric takes her out and shows her basically the worst of the hellscape that the cities have become. The poverty, the starvation, the sickness. And of course, Christine is shocked and distraught and horrified by what she sees. And so Eric convinces her that he and Cameron Lourdes are just trying to help people by giving them a place where they can go to find order and safety and jobs and food and shelter and all that. And for a while, she almost falls for it. Because she thinks, okay, the community may be strict and authoritarian and all that, but it's better than starving to death in the streets, right? So for a while, she sings at the ceremonies and gatherings and does other propaganda for the community fairly willingly, because she wants to help people and she doesn't really see any other way. But then, meanwhile, Raoul and his friend Anthony make another attempt to sneak into the community because they've seen some of the propaganda videos on TV and they want to expose it as BS. And in the back of his mind, Raoul still wants to convince Christine to get out of there. So they make a plan to sneak in and try to expose the spirit as a hoax and expose Cameron because they think, okay, if we get caught, we'll just get kicked out on our butts like last time. What's the worst that can happen? Unfortunately, the worst that can happen is that this time, Raoul's friend Anthony gets killed by Eric, and Raoul doesn't because he's too high profile. He gets just turned over to the cops, but not before he and Anthony have been framed, basically, as having been in the community trying to assassinate Cameron Lourdes. But Christine doesn't believe that story, and in fact, she manages to briefly talk to Raoul before he's chucked out, and he tells her that's not what they were doing, and she believes him. Now, I need to back up a bit because there's a detail I left out. Sorry about that, but there's a lot to cover and a lot that's going on at once. But as all this has been happening, Eric and Christine have become engaged. And not entirely willingly on Christine's part, because she's still not sure how she feels about Eric. 
there are many things she likes and admires about him, but there's still way too much she doesn't know about him or about what's going on for her satisfaction. But, of course, Cameron Lourdes insists that they marry because of his religious stuff. And Eric really likes the idea of having a wife. Not in a sexual way. He said that he won't, you know, ask that of Christine. And as a reader, you believe him that he won't. So more as a companion. But this is also where we kind of find that Eric and Cameron Lourdes aren't as far apart as they first appear to be. Because although Eric's not at all religious and he's not into any of Cameron's moral and behavioral codes, they both have an entirely transactional understanding of what marriage is about and really what all relationships are about. That is, they both see marriage and other relationships too in terms of roles and in terms of what each person in each role can give the other strategically and materially. The only difference is that where Cameron sees a wife's role is to cook and clean and have lots of babies, and of course be absolutely obedient to their husbands, Eric sees Christine's role as his wife as to be beautiful and to be happy in exchange for what he can give her, which is wealth, material positions, and power at his side in the new society that he and Cameron are building. And he doesn't really understand why Christine doesn't want any of that. He doesn't really understand why she doesn't find that a satisfactory exchange except to figure that she must still be repulsed by him because she's seen his face by now, and to figure that she must be pining for handsome Raoul. So, back now to where Raoul and Anthony have been framed for attempted assassination of Cameron Lourdes, and Anthony has gotten killed. And, as I said before, Christine doesn't believe that story. Well, she knows Anthony's dead, but she doesn't believe that he and Raoul were there trying to kill Cameron. Well, she doesn't know Anthony, but she knows Raoul, and she doesn't believe he would be involved in something like that. And so she gives Eric one last chance to come clean with her and be honest and tell her what's really going on. And he doesn't. He shrugs off her questions and sticks to the story about them being there to kill Cameron. So, after that, Christine decides that she really finally needs to know the truth. But she doesn't actually get an opportunity to learn the truth until the day before her and Eric's wedding. Because he finally goes out for a while that day, and while he's out, Christine finds a way to break into his computer room, basically. And while she's in there, she first discovers Eric's surveillance system, which is how the spirit managed to seem to be omnipresent and omniscient and to know everything that everyone was doing in the community at all times. 
because, in fact, they were under constant surveillance by ingeniously hidden nanotech. And, in fact, she discovers that he's using the same nanotech even to spy on some people outside the community. And then she discovers what actually happened with Raoul and Anthony, including that it was Eric that killed Anthony pretty much in cold blood. And so Christine is understandably shocked and horrified and distraught, not only at the things Eric's done, but because she's also genuinely begun to care for him. So she uses the fact that by now Eric trusts her enough that he's given her access to one of the exits so she can go up for sunlight and fresh air occasionally. She uses that to make a break for freedom. And of course, she runs to Raoul with help from Meg and Meg's mother, because she can't really think of anyone else whom she can trust to go to. And they make a daring, she and Raoul make a daring middle-of-the-night escape to Canada. But of course, to say that Eric is livid when he finds out that she's gone is an understatement of epic proportions. Now, I should say here that this part of the story is where the published version begins to diverge significantly from the original version on fanfiction.net. There have been minor differences between the two up until now, but this part of the story is where they start to diverge in a major way. Because in the published version, it's actually Cameron Lords who gets Christine away from Eric and basically sends her off with Raoul. Not out of any compassion for her or her situation, but because he sees her as having become a bad influence on Eric. He sees her as causing Eric to lose focus and become distracted from their mission. But he doesn't really realize how deep Eric's feelings for her run and how off the rails that'll send Eric. In any case, yeah, Cameron Lord sends Christine off with Raoul, under threat, of course, that if she ever tells anyone what she knows about the behind-the-scenes workings of the community, all the people she loved will suffer, of course. And she and Raoul flee to England instead of to Canada. Which, I have to say, as a Canadian, I was somewhat bummed about. But more importantly, here's one of the key instances where I really prefer the original fanfiction.net version to the published version, because I really prefer the version where Christine escapes under her own power and by her own choice. Because in the published version, I feel like she's more passive until much later in the story, whereas in the original, when she breaks into Eric's computer room and then escapes, you really see her strength and resolve and courage and her commitment to honesty and truth and to real justice, which, of course, are part of what make this story so awesome. And, of course, her discovery of Eric's secrets and her escape and Raoul's flight are all way more dramatic in the original fanfiction.net version, I find. Like, it's real edge-of-your-seat suspense, 
even on second or third reading when you know what's going to happen, in a way that I find, at least on first reading, that the version of their flight in the published version isn't quite. So yeah, in the original version, then, Christine and Raoul escape to Canada, and at first Christine just wants to escape and to forget about it all. But then, she and Raoul see a breaking newscast that shows that after a relatively quiet summer in which it looked like things were starting to get better, there's been renewed violence and chaos back home. And this triggers Christine's memory of the other thing she discovered in Eric's computer room, which was a calendar with a bunch of days marked in orange and one day in October marked in red. And so Christine starts watching the news daily and discovers, to her horror, that the new bombings, acts of violence, whatnot, are occurring on exactly the days she saw marked on Eric's calendar. And she realizes that Eric is, in fact, the reason the country has devolved into such a hellscape. Remember I said back at the beginning that in this fic, Eric is a kind of mercenary operative? Well, Christine now realizes that he's been using his cutting-edge technology to crash the economy, spread violence, and generally create desperation and fear and chaos and panic in order to help Cameron Lourdes take over the country. Although she still doesn't understand why. She thinks maybe it's about money or power or something like that. Which, as I alluded to before, it sort of is, but not quite in the way she thinks. Shortly after Christine has this realization that Eric's behind everything, though, Eric, of course, tracks her and Raoul down and forces them to return. So now, Christine has to try to save the country from Eric, but also kind of do battle with Eric for his soul to try to save Eric from himself. Because in spite of everything he's done, she does still care for him, and part of what makes it so awful for her is realizing that someone she does, in fact, care about is doing all these terrible things and planning to do more of them. So, I won't give away the ending, because God knows I've given enough spoilers already, except to say that this part of the story, the kind of very extended final lair, is another case in which the published version again diverges significantly from the fanfiction.net original. And here, too, I have to say that I prefer the original. I find the fanfiction.net version ending much more satisfying. Even though Eric's actions during the final lair chapters are darker, for lack of a better word, in the original, and it takes him much longer to start showing signs of beginning to change. For example, in the original version, although he doesn't cross any lines with her sexually, thank goodness, Eric does force Christine to marry him, whereas he doesn't do that in the published version. So yeah, in the original version, it's really quite a drawn-out struggle for Eric's soul. And as I said back at the beginning, on first reading especially, 
by this point in the story, I honestly hated this Eric. He was such an asshole. Pardon my language. But then, through this drawn-out battle that Christine engages in to try to save Eric from himself, as I mentioned earlier, incredibly, the author believably pulls off his redemption, his transformation. And it's really beautiful and powerful. And also, just like Christine's flight with Raoul earlier, it's edge-of-your-seat suspense all the way. In a way that, again, I feel like the published version doesn't quite pull off. Which is ironic, because usually in fanfic or phantom lit, I like it when you can see sort of seeds of Eric's redemption early on in the story. In this case, it feels like it denouements too quickly. Like it de-escalates the drama and suspense too quickly. But that might just be because it was my first time reading the published version, and I was expecting the wild ride that you get in the original. So I'll be interested to see if I react the same way when I read it again. But also, without giving spoilers, the ending to the published version felt very transactional. And so I didn't find it as hopeful and beautiful and powerful as the original. Because in the original, Christine's already married to Eric, as awful as that is because it was forced. So in the end, she has nothing left to bargain with. All she can do is listen to Eric and offer him genuine compassion and pray that that's enough. And Eric has to come to terms with the fact that he can't buy her respect and regard. That it really isn't about his face or about Raoul. It's about that no amount of money or power is going to make Christine okay with the things he's doing. And so if he wants her respect, her friendship, or for them to have any chance in hell at real happiness he's going to have to finally drop the path of destruction he's been on. And, as I said before, in the original, it's a really wild ride. You don't know till the very last minute which way he's going to choose. Or, you're not sure till the very last minute. And you don't know if his process of thrashing about trying to choose is going to get Christine and or Raoul killed. Or him, for that matter. But, at the risk of spoiling, that whole process, that whole struggle, makes the ending, when you finally get to it in the original, feel much more authentically redemptive, much more authentically transformative. Whereas, the published version, I feel like, ends in a much more ambiguous place. Partly because the original fanfiction.net version has a series of epilogue chapters that aren't in the published version. And again, I have to say I was really sorry to see them cut. They're really beautiful. Although I do get that a lot of the changes made between the original and the published version were probably for reasons of length. Because, as I mentioned back at the beginning, yeah, this fic is very long. So, I can understand being concerned that it might be too long for a published version. Although, it's so gripping and so suspenseful 
that I don't think it would have been. I mean, when I read the original the first time, actually all the times I've read it, I couldn't put it down. The first time I read it, I read it in a bunch of binge sessions. It was too long to read in a single binge session. But yeah, I read it over several all-nighters. So yeah, I think the length of the original might have been able to be gotten away with because it's so well-written and such a page-turner. And also because it's such a fascinating and, as I alluded to at the beginning, I feel like very timely exploration of the intersection of trauma and politics. Because that's not something we, either as a society in general or in the phantom world, tend to really think about. We tend to think of them as separate. We tend to think of trauma as something that happens privately to individual people or maybe within individual families, and politics as sort of what happens out in the world in public. and. This fic is a really brilliant exploration of how things can be not nearly so cut and dry. And that's explored particularly through the character of Eric. Because we learn in a series of flashbacks that Eric's home life growing up was materially very affluent, yes, but emotionally impoverished to say the least. Plus, of course, he experienced a lot of discrimination in the world outside his home, too, because of his being severely disfigured. And that builds up in Eric a really toxic combination of very justified anger, blended with very unjustified self-hatred, overlaid or hidden from himself, but just barely, by a protective covering of contempt for the rest of humanity and sense of superiority because of his off-the-charts IQ. And that nasty combination leads Eric ultimately to his work as this kind of mercenary political operative who specializes in destabilizing countries. Because A... He wants just straight-up revenge and to make other people feel the same level of pain he does. But B, because of his intelligence and education, Eric understands what happened to him, the trauma and exclusion that he experienced, as systemic failures. That is to say, he understands them as failures of systems the medical system, the educational system, the criminal justice system, etc., not just as failures of individual people's behavior or of individual people's empathy or compassion. And that's really fascinating and cool because, of course, there are lots of activists out there and folks in the social justice world who would entirely agree with him on that. And in fact, there are many activists and folks in the social justice world who would even go one step farther and would argue that failing and excluding and marginalizing someone like Eric is not a glitch or a bug, 
of those systems. It's not a failure of those systems. It's in fact part of their core operating logic, if I can put it in computer terms. So they would argue that those systems have built right into them a component of filtering people like Eric out of privilege and into exploitable marginalization in order to keep neo-colonial heteropatriarchal capitalism going. Now, the Eric in this fic doesn't take his analysis that far, but he does recognize that systems have failed him, not just people. However, although he shares that part of the analysis anyway with the social justice world, of course, activists and those involved in organizing for social justice have a different answer. Their answer is to try to bring people together to build new systems that are more just and equitable, right? Whereas this Eric, because he's not able to separate justified anger at people from unjustified and unjustifiable self-hatred on one hand and contempt on the other hand, like because he hasn't done the psychological and emotional and healing work to separate those things out, he's basically just ready to burn those systems to the ground. And he's working with Cameron Lourdes because Cameron Lourdes has given him the opportunity to do that. But also, because he hasn't been able to separate out justified anger from self-hatred and contempt. He's gravitated, as we learn in a conversation he has with Christine, toward the idea that ordinary people, people not as smart as him, are too stupid to govern themselves. And so, for that reason, too, he's quite okay with working with and for someone like Cameron Lourdes, until he begins, perhaps, to see that through Christine's eyes, and begins to understand that that's what she finds monstrous, not his face. Meanwhile, Christine is at a slightly different intersection of trauma and politics, because, of course, she's had the very traumatic experience of being taken away in, like, grade four, and imprisoned in a cult by her own father, where she's, where the cult attempts to brainwash her, right? And so, once she starts to get free of the brainwashing, she develops a deep commitment to personal sovereignty, to people's right to choose the shape of their own life. But a deep commitment to that for everyone, not just for herself. But she also instinctively understands, I think, that it's very difficult for people to have that personal sovereignty, that right to choose, without a certain base, basic level of well-being. And that's why, on one hand, she doesn't judge people for joining Cameron's cult in order not to starve. But on the other hand, it's why she's so furious and devastated 
when she discovers that Eric and Cameron have engineered this hellscape on purpose in order to drive people to Cameron. Because she recognizes that in doing so, they've taken away people's basic well-being in order to take away their ability and even will to choose freely. And in those ways, Christine, too, has a lot of ideas and values in common with the activist social justice world. Like, she definitely shares with many activists and social movements that cherishing of people's self-determination, but also the recognition that people need a basic level of well-being to be able to even have self-determination. But again, as with Eric, she has a different answer. Because Christine in this fic, both through her own efforts and through Raoul and his older brother Philip as well, is very much about trying to restore business as usual, to try to restore the status quo, and get things back to the old normal. And I kind of read that as being the authorial position, the position of the story itself, if you will, as well. But of course, as I mentioned before, many social justice movements would argue that the status quo, the old normal, isn't adequate, isn't good enough, because of all the people and all the different kinds of people that it systematically fails and lets fall through the cracks, like what happens to the Eric in this fic. And their answer is to try to build a new normal, to build new systems that are more just and equitable. And I'll put some good sources in the blog post for this episode on how people come to those conclusions and some of the work that's being done to try to build those new systems. Because there's lots of great analysis that's been done over the decades, and there's a lot of really inspiring work being done trying to build systems that are more just. So yeah, I'll put some good sources on that in the blog post. Unfortunately, there'll be more book recommendations than links, but I'll see if I can come up with some good websites, too. But I find it really fascinating in reading this fic to see where it's in sympathy with social justice movements and where they're not quite on the same page. And, as I mentioned before, I think it's brilliant and so important the way it brings in that connection, that intersection between politics and trauma. Because that's something we don't talk about nearly enough, even within social movements, let alone in the broader society. And while I feel like that connection is implicit in Phantom itself and in some of the more brilliant fanfics out there, this is one of the few fanfics I've seen that attempts to take it on and tackle it explicitly. And of course, it does so with great skill and mastery of craft on the part of the author. 
So I hope that's got you all good and intrigued to check out this fanfic, and I do hope I didn't spoil it too much. As I said, it's hard to do a good review and analysis without spoiling, but even so, the synopsis I gave was very much only a summary. The actual plot and character development are so much richer and more nuanced than I have time and space to really do justice to here. So I highly, highly recommend you go check out the actual fic itself. And for that, I'll put links to both the fanfiction.net version and the published version on the episode page for this episode on the podcast website. Then folks can read and compare them for yourselves and see what you think. So, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode's discussion of Shadow Government slash Shadows Over Eden, and I hope you'll all stay tuned for next episode. Because this episode got out so blasted late, I'm not sure when I will actually get the next one posted, but I'm hoping for sometime around, or ideally just before, the end of this month, because I'm planning on doing something Halloween-related. So, hopefully that'll be interesting and something kind of spooky and fun that you'll all enjoy. I know I'm looking forward to it. In the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of In This Labyrinth, Justice from the Heart of the Phantom of the Opera, as much as I've enjoyed creating it. And if you'd like to support the show to help cover the cost of stuff like hosting, recording equipment, occasional technical assistance, etc., you can do that at www.patreon.com slash phantomfemme, that's P-H-A-N-T-O-M-F-E-M-M-E. There are various levels of support that you can pledge at there, with different thank you rewards at each level, starting right down at $1 a month to try to keep things as accessible as possible. Plus, pledging on my Patreon gives you access to some of the other work I do around Phantom besides this podcast as well. You can also support the show, of course, by liking, following, and sharing on social media, and by rating and reviewing on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever platform you listen on. And all that helps every bit as much as financial support because it helps boost the show and makes it easier for new listeners to find it. And, last but definitely not least, you can, of course, contact me in the show. And I always love hearing from listeners. So, you can tweet to at ITLpodcast. You can post or comment either on the Facebook page or in the Facebook group, both of which you can find by searching for the title of the show. You can also post a comment on the podcast website itself, which is at https colon slash slash in this labyrinth 
www.fireside.fm slash. And finally, you can, of course, send an old-fashioned email to inthislabyrinth at yahoo.com. And thanks very much for your feedback and support in whatever form, because it all really helps keep the show high quality and is all really greatly appreciated. So with that, I hope you'll join me again next episode. And in the meantime, please stay safe and please help keep everyone around you safe too. Wear your masks, wash your hands frequently, and practice social distancing. Because it literally saves lives. And beyond that, just have a great and phantom-filled time till next episode. Disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and do not reflect the views of the host, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Cameron McIntosh, the Really Useful Group, or any other person or entity. In addition, this podcast is not in any way affiliated with Andrew Lloyd Webber, the Really Useful Group, Cameron McIntosh, or with any other person or entity involved in the production of any version of Phantom.